Philippians chapter 2 with me this morning, if you will. We're going to continue talking. Uh, we'll, uh, this is actually lesson 11 in this issue of the grace reset. Grace reset. We, I, we started this back at the beginning of the year talking about the great reset and what we see out in the world and the politicalness and all of that. And I was playing off that with grace reset. And just in the issue of, of, a, of just making sure our understanding, our focus is adjusted correctly and about things. And, and again, we're tree-topping. We're not down deep in the weeds. Um, your, that handout this morning, by the way, online now, we have that available on the homepage. There's a, click, a link there. You can click it and go right over and get today and so forth and see the handout. So if you're online now, uh, Ricky set that up and so forth. So, But the thing is, is when we talk about these subjects and we talk about these items, I want you to understand there's a, there's a wealth of information underneath that I'm not getting into with you. Otherwise, we would be here on, we would still be talking about God's Word <laughs> in the King James Bible. I mean, you, you can just keep going and going and going. I just want to make sure our thought, pro, our thinking is adjusted. Okay, um, and uh, uh, and so forth. So as we do that, Philippians two verse thirteen is kind of where we've been the last couple weeks. So we're going to go there again. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your Word. We thank you for the Son. And Lord, I just pray as we look at this issue of prayer this morning that we would do so with with uh, Hearts rejoicing that we're able to come and have an intimate uh, relationship with you and with your word. In your name we pray. Amen. We've been looking at the issue here in the last couple weeks. We saw about we talked about the will of God, and and how. And then last week we talked about how God works through His word. And and we and I wanted to start here in Philippians two as we talk about this morning. I kind of titled it "Let Us Pray" and the issue of prayer. Because what happens with the issue of prayer, and when we look here and we think about this, there's some really weird ideas out there about prayer, okay? And I'm not gonna, we're not going to talk about them or anything, but just for you and I, for us, just to have our thinking calmed with it, about it. And think about it. Verse 13, for it is God which worketh where? In you. You always have to remember where God's working. He's working where? In you, not on you, okay? Now, that doesn't mean that God wants, doesn't want you happy or have a happy life or a joyful life or he always wants you down in the dumps. It's not that at all. It's where is this? Where does the energy, uh, come back to Romans 12. Where does that, where, where does the, this energy, where does he work? Where is he moving you from? Well, it isn't the circumstances of life. That's common to man. We, we talked some of that last week about the intervention and the chastening and so forth. By the way, the chastening, we just mentioned it quickly and moved on. There's so much down in that when you go back and you look at Israel and how God intervened and worked in their lives and how he's doing the same thing to you and I today just through his word rather than the manipulation in the, in the circumstances, Okay. Now what happens is, is you hear people say, "Well, God worked in me, and this came, and, this, and and okay, that's legitimate, as long as we're saying what <laughs> we're not saying that God moved and did, but whether He worked where, 
in you, see. Okay? A lot of times I've told you in the past, I we were at the swap meet years ago, and <laughs> I was talking to a guy, and he was like, well, I'm born again. And I'm like, no, you're not born again. That's John 3. And, and No, I'm born again. And I finally said, what do you mean by that? And you know what he gave me? He gave me a clear testimony of salvation. But the religion, he was what? Born again. That was the term they used. I said, well, you need to use 1 Corinthians 15.1 where you are saved. That's Paul. That's a little more accurate terminology. for. And he's like, well, Paul who? And I'm like, oh, great. Right on. Let's go. So in we go, you know. But, but that's a lot of times I'll be, from me to you, you ought to ask people, what do you mean by that? And then let them explain. Because a lot of times you hear, if I, if I hear someone say we're part of the kingdom today, well, are we? Well, yeah, the heavenly kingdom. But that's not what they're talking about usually, right? So you've got to find out. You've got to do a little digging. But see, understanding the word rightly divided, understanding dispensational Bible study, having Romans 12, 1 and 2, ha- operating in the word, working in you, you're able to discern that. You're able to look at that and say, what's going on? What's happening? And then be able to answer that. Look at 12, 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, this thing, right now in time, a what? A living sacrifice. Well, in Romans 6, we learned we're dead. This guy's crucified. So now we're a dead man living. That's odd. Doesn't make sense, does it? Well, it does when you understand what, what God's doing where? In you. Holy. I love that. Holy. By the way, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the what? By the mercies of God. Boy, what a study that is. The beseechment here isn't a beg. He's not begging them. Come on, come on, come on. He he says, listen, Rome, you guys at Rome, you guys at Southwest Bible, you guys members of the body of Christ, I'm not begging you to do anything because there's an obligation in a beg. What I want is I want the mercies of God to motivate you, to come and join and be a part of what we're doing. I want the, the 11 chapters of doctrine that you just learned and established in your foundation to be what's going to move you to be a living sacrifice. I am not going to drag you. That's why he's going to say a little later, let every man be persuaded in his own mind. You have to get there. I can't drag you there. I can put it in front of you. I can keep it in front of you. But eventually you're going to have to do it. See? And Paul says, I want you to, I'm beseeching you on the, who. look at who you are in Christ. Look at everything. Look at your justification, your identity. Look at everything he's doing. And let's let that be what moves you to be a living sacrifice. Holy. Set apart for the purpose. What's he doing what he's doing? Well, he got a whole thing up in the heavenly places he's got to take care of and do. We learn that in Ephesians. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I love that. Reasonable. Reason. We're going to think this through. Reasonable. This isn't, this is up your wheel route, you know. I, I, I think about people and the jobs that they do, and I go, why in the world are they ever doing that job when their natural abilities is to do something else? This isn't that. This is reasonable. We're going to think this through. Here's how God would have you in a living sacrifice thought process 
Go do some things. Verse 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. Transformers, more than meets the eye. There's something happening in your life. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's, that word begins to transform us. That's what Philippians 2 is talking about. He's going to work in you to do and to will and to do his good pleasure. It's going to transform. It's going to take our thinking and it's going to transform it about our lives. By the way, the end of that verse, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, that's the first time in Romans that he brings up the will of God. You don't know the will of God in Romans 1 through 11. He doesn't talk about it. Now he does, and he says what's good, acceptable, and perfect. Now, I know what we do. That's the three steps, and boom, and boom, and boom. And you know what? He's not talking about that at all. Rather, it is good. Remember the first time the Lord said it was good? Genesis. And God said, he creates, and it's good. Good in that it's got a purpose to it. It's got a design in it. Hey, the reasonable service for you and the details of your life are good. they got a purpose to it. they got a plan for it. They're acceptable. That is, there's a reason for it. I may not understand the reason yet. Don't dig, study, learn, grow. But there's a purpose to it. And you know what? I believe in the purpose. I believe in the reason. You know, there's a reason he's going to tell me to not be slothful in business, fervent in spirit. He's, there's a reason he's going to tell me that if uh, uh, you're in chapter 12, verse 18, if it be possible. Is it possible? Yes. As much as lieth in you to live peaceably with all men. There's a reason to that. There's a purpose to it. And I believe that. I may not understand it. I sure enough don't want to do it sometimes. Then he says, perfect. You know what happens when I look at that and I say, here's the will of God for me as I interact with someone that I'm at odds with, I'm an enemy to, and I'm choosing to live peaceably? And what does that do? That makes me perfect. It matures me up. Perfect, perfection, maturity grows me up. So when we look at prayer and we look at these things, by the way, none of that's in the notes, okay? Just FYI, all right? What we're talking about is he's going to will and do his good pleasure where? In you. He's going to take his word, you're going to put it into your thinking. You're going to move it from your thinking down into your heart, into your inner man. With the heart, man believes. You're going to believe it, you're going to take it, and now you're going to put it into the details of life. And when we think about prayer, and you think about talking to God, because that's what all prayer is. When you think about that, it's going to be completely different than what Christianity out there says. Come over with me to Luke 11. Okay? And the reason that I say that is, we're, it's, this isn't in Luke 11, but we're going to go there. In the issue of prayer, and the issue of what the, what the religions of the world, what do they say? Ask and you can get it. Oh, I didn't get it, preacher. Then you don't have enough faith. Or let's check your giving record. That, that, no, they do. We chuckle, but they do. You're not giving enough. Let's check that record. See, when you come into Scripture, it's not that at all. In Luke 11, 
actually, if I can just say it, when we, we're gonna, when we come to see that prayer is the energizer bunny, if you will. It's the vehicle that the Holy Spirit uses to bring the Word off of the page and into the life of the believer. It's the issue of prayer. That's what does it. That's the mechanism. That's the vehicle. The moment you are saved, the moment you're justified, the Godhead moves in you. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they move in. They've got different things to do. They've got different roles to play. That's what we've been studying in the men's stuff about the triune Godhead, the, the Godhead. they got different activities, different responsibilities, different areas, and they move into you. And they begin to operate and function in you. But they don't override you. You have to do what? Walk by faith. You have to say, you know what? Not I, but Christ. Not I, but the Word. And what motivates that, what moves that for you is the issue of prayer. That's why for most people who come to understand the Word rightly divided, prayer, their prayer life is the first thing they lose. Because what have they been praying for? <laughs> if I dump enough faith quarters into the vending machine in the sky, I'll get what I'm asking for, but I ain't getting it. So what's wrong? What's going on? Okay. Look at Luke 11. In Luke 11, verse 1, let's think about this. And it came to pass that as he, and that's the Lord, was what? Praying in a certain place. When he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say. Now, we'll stop right there. The twelve have been watching the Lord Jesus Christ pray all the time. Why? He says, the words that I receive are not my words, they're the words of who? The Father. The works you see me do aren't my works, they're the Father's works. So what's the, what is the Son doing with the Father? Communi talking. Communicating with. Praying. He's praying here. They've been watching him pray for the last three years, if you will. And then they say what? Teach us to pray. So prayer is a taught thing. Prayer is something you learn to do. Now, by the way, what did he teach them to, to say? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You go read Matthew 6, a little different detail. But you don't pray any of that, do you? You pray for your daily bread. You might pray for your bread, pray for the food, but you don't pray to get it. When are these folks going to be needing to pray for their daily bread? The 70th week of Daniel and the tribulation, see. So this prayer, I know it gets called the Lord's Prayer. Really, that's John 17. You go read John 17. This prayer is a prayer that he's going he's to edu educate that little flock, that believing remnant, that when you get over here in this time, in the 70th week of Daniel, you're going to pray this because you know what you're going to want? Thy kingdom to come. What are we praying for? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. That is a bad thing for Israel. See? 
So he's going to teach them to pray, but not pray right in the moment, because who's with them right in the moment? He is. The Savior is. The Messiah is there. But he says, hey, I'm going to leave. By the way, he's going to educate them. I'm leaving, and you guys have to occupy. you got an occupation to do, the early Acts ministry. you got things to do over here. And when you get over here, guess what's coming? Trouble's coming. That Antichrist is coming. The, the, the satanic policy of evil is coming. And when you get in the middle of it, you know what you're going to be begging for? Thy kingdom come and provide the daily bread. By the way, did he provide daily bread in a picture in the Old Testament? Yes, manna. Get up every morning. There it is. You know? Day by daily bread. So, and you go Matthew 6, if they don't forgive their debtors, the Father doesn't forgive them. You don't have that problem, do you? You've got total forgiveness, present possession. They don't. Come over to Romans 8. So the first thing to think about when you think about prayer, it's a learned activity. It's not something that just pops. And you go, wow, look at that. Woo, prayer warriors. No. By the way, prayer warrior mentality is underneath the thumb of somebody because somebody's judging whether or not you are that prayer warrior or not. That's not prayer. Prayer is just simply pouring out your heart to the Father. Look at Romans 8. Now, in Romans 8, where are we? Well, we're not sinners. Romans 1 to 5 has clarified that. We are Romans 5, 1, therefore being justified. So we are justified. So when we come into Romans 6, 7, and 8, who's he talking to? Believers. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to believers. Look at Romans 8, verse 26. Romans 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Isn't that, is not that not the truth? As you're learning and as you're growing, how do you pray? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's how you prayed. Now you're coming to understand the word rightly divided and the message of grace and the dispensation of grace. And you know what? You finally quickly find out, you know what? I don't know what to pray for. See, this is not an this is an this is a, a verse that brings to light where you're at mature-wise. Your maturity level here, you're still a babe. You're still learning. You're not there yet. You're not in Ephesians 1 yet. You're just growing. And he says, we don't know how we ought to pray for. But you see, it's verse. what verse is that? 26? Every verse has a context. He tells you what the context is in the beginning of the verse, if you will. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth with our what? Isn't that interesting? He doesn't say help you understand the word more rightly divided. And I know what the preachers do in the rest of that verse, in the next verse, the intercessory, and they say, that's you, and you send up an abracadabra prayer, and the Holy Spirit trains it around to match the will of God, so you're in line. That's a bunch of hogwash. That's a bunch of guys who don't know what they're talking about. When we went through Romans 8, man, we spent a lot of time talking about this. He, the intercessory, where does the Holy Spirit work? In you. He's not up there rainbow catching. Oh, I got one there from Rodney. Let's get that one adjusted, right? Oh, there goes one from Nick. I'll get that one. He's not doing that. He's working in you. Where does the adjustments come? As you study the Word and it works where? It transforms you, your thinking. Now look at verse 18. Let's think about this. We don't know how to, to pray at this stage in Romans 8. We're still learning. We're still going through things. But we do know something, don't we? We know, chapter 5, that tribulation worketh patience, and the patience experience and experience hope. So we know it's not a doom and gloom. What are we learning? Romans 8, 18. 
For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. What are we learning about? We learn that we're going to suffer down here. And the attitude and the thinking about that has to be adjusted. And who's going to adjust that thinking? The Holy Spirit is where? In the Word. So when I pray, I don't know what to pray for. He's not talking about anything general. What's he talking about? The infirmity. The suffering. See how the context tells you. He's not talking about, well, you know, should I take the job or not? Should I get married or not? Should I do this or that or the goofball things we pray for? See, He says, listen, when it comes to this infirmity issue, you don't know how to pray, but you know who's going to help you? The Spirit's going to help you. And He's going to come in and He's going to be an intercessory. Look there, verse 26. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with what? With groanings which cannot be uttered. He's not... He's going to groan with you. Why? Because you're growing and you're learning and you're in the middle. You read down verse 19 and 20 and 21 and 22, and you see the reason we suffer because he leaves us here on this sin-cursed planet for a reason, a vocation, a job, be his ambassadors. See? See, there's an adjustment in the thought process. And you know what he says? He says, listen, the su- verse 27, and he, that's God, that searcheth the hearts, knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit. So let me ask you something. Does the Spirit have to rearrange your prayer to match God's will? Verse 27 says, no, He doesn't. He already knows the mind. You with me? I'm not, I'm, we're up in the clouds right now. We'll come down here. Okay? You've got to think this stuff through. Get out of the theology, the bad theology over here. Come in and actually read that verse. If you think that the Holy Spirit is readjusting everything to match the will of God, you have not read verse 27 because He, that's God the Father, knows the mind. Because He maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Well, what's the will of God? Where does the will of God work? It works in you. So what's the Spirit doing? He's working in you. So we've got this guy inside of us, the Holy Spirit, and what's He doing? He's working with the Word in you. So if I don't know something, what do I need to do? Get more Word in me. But what's the Word here? It's about the issue of suffering. It's about the infirmities. And what do I know? What do I come to know? Verse 37. Nay, in all these things. What things? The infirmities. I am what? More than a conqueror through Him that loved us. You know what I know? I know that this life doesn't defeat me. I know that my perception and my look at this life is not one of defeat. It's one of victory. It's the one of being a more than conqueror. Now you can't always live in the clouds. I get that. Come on over to 2 Corinthians 4. What I want you to, what I'm trying to get you to catch about this thing about prayer, we got to get moving here, is this issue about how you think about this. Because where the Spirit is working, the intercessory work is in you. As you take in these passages and you think about them and you move it from the black and white on the paper into your heart and up from your heart into your mind. 
and you say, this is where I'm at. And you know what he says? You know, what you, you know where we live? We live in an evil, we live in a corrupt world, a sin-cursed world. But why? Romans 8 tells us. We, live, we, we suffer because Galatians 6, we reap what we sow. You sow, you sow stupidity, you're going to reap stupidity. You just are. The law of the harvest is true. I don't care how much you want to undress it and dress it and, you know, what did they say, put lipstick on a pig? Guess what? It's still a pig. So when you think about this, what does he say, 2 Corinthians 4, 16? For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. That's a fact, isn't it? Look around us. That outward man's going to what? It's gonna, he's he's, he's, he's going to get sick and die one day. Happy, happy, happy. But it is with the proper mindset. It is to look. He's not saying don't go to the doctor and get fixed. He's saying you've got to have the proper mindset here. What's the proper mindset? You know what? This is what's happening Wednesday when I, when I had my episode back there in the back. I knew instantly oh, I was in trouble. I knew I wasn't dying. I just knew things weren't right. So I get myself up. Shoot the email out to everybody. Don't come. And then I go down to 60 at 55, believe it or not, trying to get home. Because I'm here, see? Well, 65. Not 65, maybe 70, I don't remember now. But the point is, is what do you do? What's going on in the inward man? Get, your, get up and go. Let's go. The out, the, my body was done. You're, done. you're not moving. And when you do move, you better be close to a toilet or a garbage can because it's coming. See, the outward man is no fun. Where's the fun? The inward man. For our light of now, watch the thinking. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is the is the affliction light? Not in the moment. It's not. It's daunting, unless you have what proper perspective, proper viewpoint. It's a light affliction, and it's only for the moment. In the darkest of darkest days of your life, compared to eternity, it is just not even a blimp. It's a nanosecond. But what is it designed to do? Worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen. But hang on a minute, Rick. In the moment, that's all I can see. And that's the case. But where should I be looking? At the things not seen. For all the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are Eternal. What do we have? Boy, what a way to think about the things of life. So here we are talking to the Father. Come to 1 Corinthians 10. We did this one last week. We'll hit it here. 1 Corinthians 10. Boy, you're going to go pray. You're praying to the Father. You're talking to the Father. Lamentations 2 there. Pour out your soul to the, pour out your heart to the Father. You're talking to the Father about the details of life and how, how down it is and how bad it is because you, you can do that. He wants that intimate relationship. And you know what he says? Hey, remember 2 Corinthians 4. Come on. Adjust that thinking here. Get out of the pity party. Get out of the woe is me-isms. And let's get on with life here. You got life. You got glory out there. You got an opportunity to let the Spirit use the Word and the Word work out through you in this because people watch you. They see you all the time. We're made a spectacle to the world, Paul says, and to angels. The angels are what? Just when you don't think anybody's watching you, there's a group of angels watching you. 
sin. Thinking about it. Look at 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Stop there. What a way to think about trouble. Infirmities. Good or bad, by the way. Life. You know what's common to man? Everything. You know what that tells me? It should tell you. You ain't special. In that God is not using the circumstances in your life to teach you, to train you, to mold you, to move you to do something. Rather, the circumstances of life are to be used for the Word to work in that inner man, renew that mind, and then cause a change and an impact in your life. Inner, outer. He's working in you to do His will and good pleasure. He's not working on you. The circumstances of life are now where we come and we take the Word of God that's renewed our mind and we work it out. And what are we doing? We're praying. Come, come back there to Lamentation 2. See if you can find Lamentation. <laughs> it's after the book of Jeremiah. On your, on your way, you can get Psalm 62. That's a little easier, but it's another verse. So what do we do when we're praying here? You see, folks... Prayer is in, involved in every aspect of our life. Psalm 62 and verse 8. Psalm of David here. As he, he says, Trust in him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. By the way, when you see that Selah, I know what the books say. I read them. That's a musical thing, and it's cause for a pause. And yeah, you should. Selah does indicate to the Hebrew a pause, but Selah in the pause is a reference to. You guys need to think about what just hap- what he just said to you, in light of the seventieth week of Daniel and the tribulation that's coming. What are they going to do in the middle of that? In, in the midst of that seven years, they're going to pour out their heart before God. What are they going to say? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Let's get this thing done. The prayers of the saints behind it. How long, Lord? How long are you going to let them kill us? When are you coming back? See, that, what are they doing? They're pouring out their heart to them. That's what Lamentation 2 is. Lamentation 2, verse 19. Lamentation 2, verse 19. Arise, cry out in the night. The night, the picture in the Old Testament of tribulation, trouble, 70th week. Timeline. In the beginning of the watches, pour out thine heart like water before the face of the Lord. Lift up thy hands toward him for the life of thy young children that faint for hunger in the top of every street. You read that book. Man, you know what he's saying? There's going to be things going on in that 70th week that dad's got to watch his kids go hungry because he won't take the mark of the beast. And he's going to stand his ground. And you know what they're pouring out their hearts saying, Father, come back. Come on. We need our daily bread. Where is it? But what are they doing? They're praying, aren't they? What are you and I doing? Time's tough, Lord. We need some help here. Help. Now, he's not going to intervene like he does with these guys. By the way, in the midst of the week, they get carried off into the wilderness, and they've got a table of blessing waiting for them in the wilderness. And they flee to those mountains, and they do. Come back to 1 Thessalonians 5. What does, Tim, what does Paul tell us? 
1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17. What does he say? Pray without ceasing. That tells you a couple things. One, prayer is not a posture. Now, there are times when you need to bow your head and bow your knee and get serious. I get that. But prayer isn't just that. Prayer is pouring out your heart to the Father about what's going on in the details of life and how to take His Word and apply it to those details. And you know what the Father says? Get the Word in you, goober. Get the Word in you, and then get out of the way and let the Spirit work. Well, you just don't know me. No, but He does, see. He knows what works. Let the, let the Spirit get that word and work. Pray without ceasing. That's just simply crawling up into the lap of the Father and talking to Him about the details of life. What's going on daily? What's happening? You know, the wife is, and the husband, and the kids, and he goes, yeah, welcome to life. You know, a guy asked me one time, how you doing? I said, married with children. He goes, enough said. Then he asked the lady, what are you, how are you doing? He goes, I'm married with children. Oh, enough said. You know why? What? Life. The prayer issue. Coming in and having, uh, come with me to Ephesians 1. Coming in and having a, 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 an impact in the, in the day-to-day, why? Proper perspective. How are we thinking about this? How are we looking at this? How do I take this? And again, by the way, do I marry this person or not? Every prayer you could ever think, i got to say this now in case I forget, every prayer you have is answered in that book, rightly divided. Who do I marry? 1 Corinthians 7 helps you with that. Only in the Lord. It doesn't say anything else about race, color, economic issues, nothing. It just says in the Lord. Now, we put all the other on there. I get that. Right divide, KJV, you know, so I get that. He doesn't do that. Very fascinating. Do I get a job or do I get this job or that job? You know what he says? Don't care. Just have a job. Provide for your own. Work. That's pretty easy. Okay. So you can be the greeter at Walmart or you can be the CFO at Walmart, whichever. I don't think I'd be there, period, but you could be in either or. Doesn't matter. What are you to do? So what am I doing? I'm doing the will of God who says, what? Have a job, and here's my job, and I'm providing for my own. Because if I don't, I'm worse than an infidel. I've denied the faith. You see, when you get into this stuff, it's not, it, this is not brain surgery. You know what this is called? It's called faith. It's called a walk of faith. Simply believing that verse and that that verse works, and that's the verse that's going to get me through and in getting out of the way and let the verse work. Ephesians 1. In Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Romans 8, Paul says, you don't know what to pray for concerning the infirmities, and he answers that. What are you? You're more than a conqueror. More than a conqueror. I love that. You're not just a conqueror. You're a more than. That means you've turned the situation to your benefit. How did I turn this infirmity to my benefit? Well, the light affliction is but for a moment, and it works for me a what? More, exceeding eternal way to glory. I can turn this and properly respond to it, properly work down through it, and it'll more glory. Woo! Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3, Colossians 1, Colossians, uh, I'm sorry, Philippians 1, Philippians 4, and Colossians 1. You see them there. Paul lists out five of his prayers in what a 
mature believer will be praying for. Okay? Romans 8, you're not mature yet. You're growing. You're learning. Figuring the stuff out. Okay? But in Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3, Philippians 1, Philippians 4, Colossians 1, he says, here's what mature, here's what a mature saint prayer looks like. Okay? Now, Paul prayed all the time. He didn't only pray five times. But here they're recorded. I give them to you. You ought to look at them closely. Chapter uh, Ephesians 1, verse 15. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and the love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that, here's what he's praying for them, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the powerball winning and a healthy and a wealthy and a wonderful life. It's in my Bible. What's wrong with you? <laughs> no. No. What does he say? Hey, I give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding being what? What's he praying for? Enlightenment. Have my, have, have some, my eyes be open to some wonderful truths uh, that the God, the Father has for me. And what he's doing today in forming the church, the body of Christ, and the heavenly places. And have some enlightenment going on. I tell you what, if you focus in, if you know what Colossians says, seek those things above and set your affections there, you'll quit worrying about the nasty now and now. Because where is your thinking? Woohoo! Up there. That's why Paul will say to Timothy about a soldier does not entangle himself with the affairs of this world. He doesn't say go stop living, quit eating. Quit paying your bills. He says, let's have the, the focus be here. So the first issue that Paul asks, it says, hey, by the way, he's not asking. He says, I'm praying for you to have what? Enlightenment. Chapter 3. I had some folks call me a couple years ago, and they said, hey, brother so-and-so is sick. He's dying. Would you come? I said, sure. I went. Sat down with them, visited with the family. And they said, give us a verse, would you, preacher? <laughs> I'm like, okay, what verse do you give the, you know, how do you do this? I just went over and read Romans 8.18. Remember the eights, always. Why? He's suffering, he's dying. But what's waiting for him? Glory. We went over to 2 Corinthians 5. But then I prayed for the family. Would you pray with him? Sure, pray with you. Do whatever you want me to do. And you know what I prayed? I prayed Ephesians 1 that there would be some enlightenment here and that the Word would work in these folks because they they they're believers. Then I prayed Ephesians 3, verse 14. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith and that you be rooted and grounded in love. You know what you're praying? He's praying there, and you can keep going. He's praying for that word to be empowered in your life. Not only do you have the enlightenment, the knowledge of it, but that it would take on some power, empower your life. Come along and, and energize it and move it for you. That's critical. I pray for everyone, everybody. I may not remember your name to your face, but I remember you in prayer. <laughs> And you know what happens is, is it's let them come to some knowledge and let that knowledge empower their lives. Look at Philippians 1. Here it is. 
Philippians 1, verse 9. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by. Who are the fruits of righteousness by? Not you, but by who? By Jesus Christ, unto the glory and the praise of God. Man, whoa, what a walk. Hey, we ought to have the proper thinking in our lives. That the love may abound yet more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent. That's a thinking. That's a mental attitude. That's what charity is all about. Is hey, I'm going to think about this properly. And what prayer is designed to produce in my life is a proper thinking about the details that are going on, good or bad. I hope you praise the Lord when good happens and not just beg the Lord when bad happens. Praise the Lord. Chapter 4. Philippians. So what do we got? We got enlightenment, the eyes be open, and empowerment, that the information would empower you, that you may be able to, with all the saints, comprehend. Then in Philippians 1, we got to have a what the design of prayer is to produce in our lives, a proper thinking process. 4.6, we have the proper thinking process, then what happens? Be careful for nothing. I love that. Be careful for not. Don't, don't hedge the bet. Your relationship with the Father is not on a hedge. Your relationship with the Father is wide open, 100%. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Bring, all, bring it all to the throne of God. But how are you bringing it? With thanksgiving. Ooh, that's a little, oh, I didn't like that one, Rick. No kidding. Because most of the time when we come to God in prayer, it isn't with thanksgiving, it's with a, an axe to grind. Or a, let's get them. Paul says, no. You come with proper thinking. Verse 7 is the answer. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Bring it all, and there, what's the answer? There's peace. There's a peace of God. It's going to keep your heart and your minds, your minds, your soul, your, your, your spirit, your thinking, your hearts, the, the mentality of your soul. I draw the crazy man on the board, but you know, I think you get it. It's going to keep you, protect you, guard you, from going off that deep end of, well, I've been begging him and he hadn't answered me. So I gotta give a I'm gonna give an extra 10% this month. <laughs> Nothing happened. All right, Lord, 15. All right, Lord, 20. And and now the treasure of the church is enjoying it. But the Lord's looking at you like, no. Colossians 1. Colossians 1. You see, folks, the, pra- the, pro- the proper thinking here, it isn't our Father who art. It's, hey, I've got some information in a book. Where do I find the wisdom, knowledge, and understanding? It's in the book. I get in that book and I study. What, how, am I, how, do I, how do you know that you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise? The book told you. You didn't feel him. Feel him. No, you didn't do that. The book tells you that. 
So you get in and study that book. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit says, glad you studied. Let's get going. Colossians 1, you start in verse number 9 and you go down to verse 14. For this cause we... For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Look at that. Let, there's Ephesians 1. Let's be filled with, let's be enlightened with all of it. Verse 10. That, here's the purpose, the intent, why? That you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. There's Philippians 1, that proper thought process, that proper thinking that the fruits of righteousness are by Him, not me. So it's Him working in me in the moment. It's His word, it's His life, it's His death, it's His burial, it's Him, and it's not I, but Christ. Walking worthy. Verse 11, strengthen with all might according to his glorious power with all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. There's Ephesians 3, the empowerment, the movement, the working of it. The place of strength is in your inner man. The measure of strength in the verse is the glorious power. It's his power. Look at what he's doing today. He's taking no good, dirty, rotten dog sinners and he's promoting them to the highest ranks and authority in the heavenly places. And he's doing it because of, by Calvary. The goal of the strength is the end of that verse, the patience and the long-suffering. But notice, with what? Joyfulness. I love that. We're going to pray with thanksgiving. We're going to have a walk with joy and joyfulness. Well, Rick, you just don't know. No, I don't know. He does, and his word says that. So then guess what I know? That's going to be true if I do what? Walk by faith and believe it to be. Then you start in verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers in the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And there's Philippians 4, and the peace of God that keeps you. Why? Because my sins have been forgiven and I'm seated with Him in heavenly places. The kingdom of His dear Son. And I have peace. Come to 1 Thessalonians 2. I know what happens. Actually, we need 2 Corinthians 12, real quick. I never do a prayer message without looking at 2 Corinthians 12, just real quick. Because you see Paul do this. Paul put on display what we've been talking about all morning. Paul has been struggling. He's got a, verse 7, a messenger of Satan, a thorn in the flesh. Okay? He's got physical ailment. Physically, he's been beaten up and battered. You read chapter 11, and he's just been brutally brutalized. I don't know if you would ever think about what it is to be, to be beaten with a rod and no urgent care to go to to get it set and fixed. What a mangled mess, I'm sure, physically. That's why they would say his appearance is not exactly how we like him to look. <laughs> and he's, but now he's got this thorn in the flesh. And what does he do in verse 8? He does Philippians 4. I besought the Lord three times to do what? Take it away, remove it, that it might depart from me. You see that? 
What's Paul doing? Paul's climbed up into the ladder of the father, the, the lap of the father, and said, Father, please, any way to possible to remove this. I'm your guy. I've been that way now for a few years. I've learned to be content. I've learned, I've been instructed. Would you please? And verse number nine is fascinating. And he said unto me, Here's the word of the Father. Here's the word of the Son to his, uh, his servant, the Apostle Paul. He said unto me, that's the answer, by the way. That's the answer to your, your prayers. What does the word of God say to you? Well, Rick, it doesn't say this over here. That's fine. 1 Corinthians 6 and 1 Corinthians 10 gives you some guidelines on grow up and make a decision. It's okay. Okay? And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. What's the answer? Paul, you're not operating in who, as who you are in me. You're troubled on every side. You're letting us, this guy just mess you up, the messenger. He's got you down. He's got, you're not operating as who you are. You're not operating as a more than conqueror. Paul, my grace is sufficient. Get out of that thinking, Paul. He goes... Right on the backside. See, I woke you up, didn't I? Sorry. He does. I'm just kidding. Nobody was asleep. How could you be with me? You know? Come on. What does he do? He does that the nozo slap thing in NCIS. He just Paul gets takes Paul by the by the by the lapel and he shakes him and says, Paul, you're not thinking right. My grace is sufficient for thee. For in your weakness, I'm sorry, for my strength is made perfect where? In weakness, Paul, you're at your lowest point, and the only place you got to go now is back to me and who I am, who you are in me. And who are you in me? You're everything. Count your blessings. Name them one by one, the song says. You are, you got every, Paul, you're not focusing right, Paul. You're focusing on the moment. You need to be looking at the big. So what does Paul say? Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. Paul has an adjustment of his thinking. He's not begging for it to be removed anymore. He says, you know what? That's right. I remember what 2 Corinthians 4 said. I remember what 1 Corinthians 10 said. I remember that, and I'm not thinking right. So you know what? I'm going to start thinking right, and I'm going to fix the stinking thinking, as they say. And now most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. Why would you do that, Paul? That the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasures. What's Paul doing? Paul looks over there and says, listen, this is where I am. I need help, Lord. He's talking to the Father about it, and the Father looks at him and says, would you goofball, would you go back there and let's start walking by the doctrine? You're not a goofball, but let's let the doctrine influence your thinking, Paul. This is the Apostle Paul. That's why in Philippians he says, I have learned. I've been instructed. But what's he been doing? He's been talking to the Father about it. This is what's going on in the details of life. The answer to Paul was, what does God's Word say to me? That is the answer to your prayer, by the way. What does the book say? Well, it doesn't say it's a cloudy, gray area, whatever. By the way, there are no gray areas. There are faith areas. 
Walk by faith. Here's what the book says. Let's do that. And when that happens, that verse in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13, where the word of God effectually worketh in you that believe. Works where? In you. When you do what with it, though? Believe it. When you don't believe it, it ain't going to work. So the vehicle, prayer, is the vehicle where the Holy Spirit comes and brings the Word of God. It dwells in you. It's on the page if you're learning and studying. And He brings it into the details of your life. And He does that by faith. And your faith in the Word. And your faith in what He's doing today. And He measures that. So when we say, let us pray, we're not talking about a formula. We're just talking about proper thinking. How do I think about this? Let's adjust our thinking to be Pauline here. Let's adjust our thinking to this. Well, Rick, then I can't pray for Sister Susie's toenail to be healed. Why not? The verse says, bring everything. But what is the answer you're looking for? It isn't the healing of Sister Susie's toenail. It's the what? It's that the peace of God would do what with her? Calmer. And see? There's no, there's no moniker that says you can't pray for things. Actually, Philippians 4 says completely the opposite. It's just what are you looking for? Well, what's the word say? Hey, I would hope that Sister Susie would, would uh, understand it. It's for a light affliction, it's but for the moment, and it's going to work for her. And uh, by the way, she needs to get up and go to see the doctor <laughs> and get it fixed. You know, see, you can do that. There's nothing wrong with that. It's the answer, the expectation that we have to temper. I think we should quit. Okay. For the sake of my kneecaps. But also for you. Think about prayer. We're just up in the clouds. You take those five prayers of Paul and you look at what he prayed for. And how he said maturity looks and prays. And it's fantastic. And you can be there. You need to be there. Because then the dauntiness of this world doesn't overwhelm you. Rather in it, you say, you know what I can be? I can be the ambassador that I'm to be. And I can bring him the praise and the honor and the glory. And we'll let him. And if you don't, and you say, I'm just not there, fine. Get there. Work there. Get it, learn yourself. Grow there. Because then you can be able to say, we're good to go. Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we just thank you for all that the Father has made us in you. And Lord, I just pray that that will sink home with us and we would be able to rejoice in it in giving you the praise and the glory that you deserve for everything that you accomplished at Calvary for us. In your name we pray. Amen.